0: Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our little four-week study we're doing on the run-up to Easter, and um, I just wanted to hit some of the sort of main points about this season, and, you know, really the, the entire uh, season that is known as Lent, that 40-day run-up to Easter, is all about preparing for the big Sunday. And so I thought we didn't take 40 days, but we'll, we'll take four weeks and uh, just devote some time to what's happening there. And the Last week we talked about the triumphal entry. and This week I want to talk about um, the, uh, the Last Supper and that experience and how, it, how we see it today in communion and what it means and talk about some of the imagery and uh, symbolism of what's happening there. And then next week we'll talk about the crucifixion and then on week number four we'll talk about the resurrection. So we'll be all... We'll be all ready for the, for the big day when it comes, and uh, of course, you know, we, we sort of celebrate Easter all the time. We celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ all the time, but uh, it has moments, you know, and meaning that's very special to this, this time of year, and, and so, big deal. We don't want to get it just lost in uh, Easter egg hunts and spring vacation. Um, there's a main, the main events happening for Christianity that we celebrate at Easter, which is the crucifixion and resurrection of the Lord. So um, we're heading up to that. Now, so if, you, if you're looking up here, you'll see I have some uh, things on the table in front of me, and these are uh, elements of communion, um, and uh, the entire thing comes from the Last Supper. And the Last Supper was a Passover meal. So uh, during this final week of, of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, uh, earthly ministry. I mean, Jesus is and, and still is and defeated death and rose again. Um, but He celebrates this meal with His disciples. And we know it as the Last Supper. From this encounter, we have communion now. It's, it was taken right out of that meal um, for us. And, and yet um, uh, the Passover meal had been celebrated at this point in time in history for about 1,500 years. So we've got about a 1,500 year run up. To, um, to the Last Supper. And there was a lot of things happening in the Passover celebration that were pointing to that moment that was happening right then with Christ and still point us in His direction. And so communion is a, it's an amazing thing. Um, the, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, however you want to know it. Powerful experience. We're never to take it for granted. Um, we uh, we're to consider it for what it is. It's this amazing connection with the Lord that we're going to be talking about. And uh, depending on your tradition and how you do it, you know, here, um, we celebrate communion every weekend. Um, you'll, you'll hear us over there and we, we pray for communion and we open the table and we encourage people to go and celebrate communion. Um, some places will do communion once a month. Some will do it once a quarter. Some maybe it only happens, uh, you know, happens less than that depending on the tradition. Um... Uh, I, I like it to be included in, in our weekend celebration so, so that's why we do it. I think it's very important for me. It really helps me sort of get my, uh, stay focused on what's going on and why, what it's all about and we'll talk more about that today. And also you know the, we celebrate communion. Um, we've We've really simplified it in the church to sort of fit it into time constraints and everything and so you know a lot of times you get a get a thimble full of grape juice and a piece of cracker. Very, very much a symbol. But the reality is that there was really a whole lot more of a meal experience that was taking place. And in particular at the Last Supper um, all of the elements of the meal had some impact on what was happening. So let me read to you Matthew 26, 17 through 30. That should be in your notes. It will not show up on the screen overhead. Um, but I will read this to you. Then we'll go from there. And while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely, Lord, not I. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand in the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely, not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, Yes, it's you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, Jesus built communion on the Passover that they were celebrating. We just read that in verses 17 through 19. For 1,500 years, the Passover had been teaching God's people uh, sort of the flavors of man's great need and, and God's great salvation. Uh, and the, this observance, Passover, looked back to God's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery of Egypt and the plague of death on all the firstborn in the land. So for those of you who've been with me on Wednesdays, we just studied this in the book of Exodus. And, and it was this celebration, the Passover of this event of what was happening. It was a very sort of strange meal. Um, uh, they had salt water to remind the people of the tears of slavery. They had bitter herbs uh, like horseradish that, so that people would remember the, the sort of sour flavor of bondage. There was a fruit paste with cinnamon sticks to remind people of making bricks of clay and straw. There was a meal of lamb commemorating how a lamb was killed for every household and its blood sprinkled on the doorpost. And, um, you know, we talked about how important that was. That was the actual Passover, right? A lamb was sacrificed, a, a, a spotless lamb, a, a good lamb, um, and they had to take it into their home for a few days. It would kind of connect with this lamb. And then the lamb would be slaughtered and um, eaten, but its blood would put on the doorposts, the door frame. And when the angel of death um, that was loosed over Egypt saw the blood of the lamb on the doorpost it passed over the houses of Israel and they were saved it's a picture of how Jesus our perfect lambs blood covers us and and how we engage in life everlasting in him we go from this life to life forever in him Um, they had flatbread bread without yeast to remind people um, that they're to be both holy because yeast was often a, a symbol of sin Uh, in in the Old Testament and that they should be ready to go all the time and so bread without yeast was easy to transport it was small and it lasted for a long time it didn't spoil and and there was also four cups that were taken throughout the meal the four cups were based on four promises found in Exodus 6 6 through 7 therefore say to the Israelites I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians I will free you from being slaves to them And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the four promises of those verses are, I will bring you out, I will free you from being slaves, I will redeem you, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And these promises are going to happen in the cups that were part of the Passover meal. Um... Forever. And there's another amazing theme running through this entire meal. It's very fascinating and we're going to talk about today that um, it's also there's a, there's a royal wedding that's taking place during the meal where Jesus actually changes the routine at Passover at the third cup and introduces sort of a, 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 the, the Jewish marriage process. It's introduced there, which is really cool. And um, uh, we'll see that Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride and proposal happens with this third cup. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So lots of symbols and stuff going on. I mean, we we could take just weeks on just talking about communion. But two that are sort of the main ones that we've taken for our communion celebration in the church and that's unleavened bread and a cup of wine. That's generally what we're taking when we go. So, let's talk about the bread for a moment. And uh, I want this. Okay. So, um, the bread. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of His body. And when Jesus broke the unleavened bread in the Passover meal, He says, take and eat. This is my body. John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. So he's, he's the bread of life and, and um, he's going to break bread in this whole process. So um, in the Passover meal, and this is kind of interesting, you can see this, this little um, cover that I have here, and actually a- anytime I know someone is going to Israel I have them buy me one of these in Israel. So I have a, I have a little collection. But if you're going to Israel, I want one of these. <laughs> it's called a matzah tosh, this thing right here. And it's been included in the Passover celebration for a long time. What's fascinating about the matzotash is that it's got three compartments and has for a long time. And, and um, in each compartment, a piece of this bread is placed. Now, the, this part of the meal where Jesus is at, the, the bread that he breaks comes out of the middle of the matzotash. So whenever there's three of anything, you should, you should go, hmm, that's interesting. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, always something to look at. Father, Son, always comes out of the middle. So... Represents Jesus. This is the piece that was broken at that point in time and shared. And Jesus said, this is my broad body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. So this is, this is broken. Now Jesus says that during the community. During the Passover, this would just be broken and shared this, this as part of the ceremony. So but Jesus is making these connections. Now, uh, so they would take half of this and they would share it. And what was happening? This other half had a fascinating little thing happen with it and as part of the Passover celebration that had been going on for hundreds of years, all, all recorded, um, uh, you know, in, in sort of a Passover book of how to do things. People, were, where's that in the Bible? By that point in time, they, the priests had sort of made this is how you're going to do Passover, so you remember, and added all these things to it. But they would take this piece that we just talked about in the meal, and uh, this piece of broken bread, this part, was, was, uh, was put inside a white linen it was wrapped up, and it was known as the afikomen. And, and so they would take this piece of bread, and then it's fascinating, what they would do is they would have the children leave the room, and they would hide this somewhere in the room. They'd hide the afikomen somewhere, and so uh just hide it back under here. Nobody would ever look there, right? So it was hidden, and then the children would come back in, and they would hunt for it. And whoever found it got a prize. It was a pretty big deal, finding the African... Now, here's... So what are the symbols? Well, um, who who do you know whose body was broken and it was wrapped in a white linen linen, and was hidden away? And now when you find him, you get a prize. It's life. And so it was a picture of these events happening so that so many of these things were pictures. The idea was when people saw these things happening, all the feasts of Israel, when you saw them coming to life in Jesus, they should have been sending off light bulbs the folks and it did for some but most of them had their own paradigm so they missed it altogether. so um, that was a very cool part of this whole thing and whenever you see us do communions here on the weekends that piece of bread that we always comes out of that middle piece and part of our prayer so that you know what's happening in the process so lots of pictures right there now the cups are also really fascinating so the cups would be poured during the meal and celebrated and they would start with the first cup and that first cup was called the cup of sanctification And in this cup, you know, God is saying to His people, I will bring you out, one of those promises. So God brings us out of bondage, slavery, darkness, and death. So that meal would be poured and it would be celebrated and they would pour that cup and either they would pass the cup together or all of them would get, you know, a new cup. But generally that cup was passed around the group. The second cup then, you'll hear us call it all the time, is known as the cup of plagues. And the ten plagues, those of you that did, you know, Exodus with me, you know that that was what God used to free the people from bondage. the The ten plagues kept getting worse and worse and worse and worse, ending with the the, the last one, the death of the firstborn. and so um, when this cup was poured, it would begin uh, the, uh, the storytelling and they would begin to, whoever was leading the meal would begin to tell the story of the, of the exodus, and all of the plagues and things that happened would be shared with the people there and and so the in the Passover meal, this entire sort of redemption drama from the patriarchs to Moses to Pharaoh and the plagues and the deliverance of Egypt, Egypt was, was all part of this meal. So every year all of the kids were taught the entire history of what was happening in this meal. So it was a big deal with what was happening and that cup would be celebrated. Then the third cup, you'll always hear it's called that, that's called the cup of redemption. And that cup was poured and celebrated and here's at the point in this very Passover meal that's taking place where Jesus changes the dynamic. He takes this cup, and, and he says, you know, this is my, my body. This is my blood I'm poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Now, here's what gets fascinating, because there's something about that cup, which is the cup of redemption, that changes everything. So, here's, here's what happens. And, and this is the one that institutes communion. In the first century, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Galilee, when it was time for a man and a woman to marry what would happen is both the fathers would get together ahead of time and um, they would come up with what was known as the bride price. They would negotiate the bride price. The daughter was considered um, you know, precious to her family and for for to, you know, compensate for her going from their family to another family. which would happen because the sons would stay with their families. The daughters would go with uh, potential husbands. the, uh, there was a, a price paid uh, and it was called the bride price because it would be, there was a precious loss that was going to happen to their family. So the fathers would get together and negotiate this out. Then the potential groom would, would um, come to the home uh, at some point in time and knock on the door, say, hey, it's me. And, and, uh, and he would be there and the potential bride would be there. But she had a say in this thing, which it's not just because the families got together. She has a say. So the potential groom would come and all the other stuff had been worked out. And he would bring a, a a cup, his own cup, and he would bring his own wine. And he would he would set the cup on the table, um, and and he would pour wine into this cup. And it would be sitting there. And the potential bride was invited into the room. Now she knew what was going on, and this was her opportunity uh, to have a say in this whole matter. Um, if by, you know if if her intuition was this wasn't going to be a good thing, and she wasn't going to have it. Um, she wouldn't drink from the cup. But if she felt like it was good and it was God and it was supposed to happen, she would take from this cup that had just been poured by the potential groom and she would drink it. And that was uh, her saying, I'm in, that's yes, that's a big yes to your, your whole proposal. Yes, let's do it. And from that point on, um, they were betrothed, they were engaged in the process, and, and she was referred to then, and it was an honoring thing, as one um, who, who was bought with a price. You know, she was an engaged woman, and Jesus is making this comparison during the Last Supper, so he takes a cup of wine, he takes this cup, in Luke twenty two twenty it says, in the same way after the supper he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And the disciples would have got this big change of things, and there's this imagery happening that they would have recognized this as like the, the sort of marriage proposal that uh, was part of the culture at that time. And, and they were able then to picture uh, the depth of Jesus' love, and, and it was a, a love so deep that, that Jesus made a covenant with them and was willing to give his life for them. So in effect, with this imagery, Jesus is saying, I love you as my bride, so I'll pay the bride price. I'll give up my life for you at the cross, and, and then I'm going to go to my Father's house, prepare a place for you, and one day I will return to take you to be with me forever. John 14, 1 through 3 says this, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am." Paul uses the same picture of a bridegroom in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Uh, whom you've received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You're not your own. When you come to Christ, you're bought with a price. And, and it's a reminder that Jesus' believers um, are, in effect, brides-to-be. And they're waiting for the day when He returns to take them home. That's how we're living. Now, not knowing when the groom would return, um, the, the what the brides would do was they would they would begin making preparations immediately, and they would live from that point on um, prepared for when the groom would come back. Now, when would the groom come back? All right, here's the deal. In this same time period, families lived in these clusters back then called insulas. And uh, if you, maybe if you've traveled, you've seen these things. What would happen is there would be a there would be a main home. And then as the sons grew older and got wives, they would come and they would build on to the existing home. Usually there was a courtyard in the middle. They would add rooms for their new bride and their family, and they would still be part of this same unit. So, so you know, uh, grandparents and parents and, and you know, brothers and, uh, and more brothers would all be living in this same sort of area together. Uh, uncles, aunts, everybody, the, the family unit would be intact in these insulas. And so when a, when a son was uh, betrothed to be married, he would then come and build rooms. He would add to the insula for his potential family. And so after uh, having a girl ta- say yes to the cup whole thing, he would go and prepare a room for them, which is what Jesus did right after the whole process, right? They said, you know, he proposed that they drank. They said, yes, we're the bride. He's the, he's the bridegroom, we're the bride. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'll return. So this imagery then... So the son would go home and start adding rooms to the insula, um, so that he could bring his bride. Now, um, the son, uh, the the potential groom, would obviously be very excited about consummating his marriage. Uh, he, he's ready to have he's got a bride and he's like, I'm, let's get let's get things going here. So. So that so that he didn't just gonna go home and put together a couple of pieces of two by four with a piece of tarp over the top and throw down a sleeping bag and say, "Here we go, honey." Uh, he wasn't the one who got to say when the rooms were ready. The father did. The new father, the the father of the of the son, would say when everything was ready, and he would want it to be ready for his new you know potential daughter in law because she was already you know they knew it was a big loss. Bride price had been negotiated. They were gonna take her and the family. And so um, the, the groom would build the insula until the father said, okay, good, go, go get your bride. So um, I say that because uh, Matthew twenty four thirty six, people kept pressing Jesus for when he was coming back. And he said, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the sun, only the father. So Jesus is coming back for us, but only when the father tells him to go. And Jesus said, and even though, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, apparently only the Father knows this point in time when He's going to say, go get your bride, that's us. We're waiting on that process. That's why I always say this. Whenever you read about somebody predicting the end of the world, and they're putting dates and times on it, which in our lifetimes has happened three or four times where people got really serious about it. Every time they're looking at me like, what? And I'm like, not going to happen. How do you know? Because no one knows but the Father says it right there. Here's the words. Here's what's happening. Here's where we're waiting on. No one, he's not going to give that date out to anybody else. Only the father knows. He, he, he's gonna, he wants you to live ready, so he's not going to give you the advance notice. He's already told you he's coming. And a wise bride lives prepared. So we're to live like he's coming. We're also to live like it could be a while. And that's how they used to live. Uh, and so it was very cool. And when the, so when the groom would finish and he would go, and part of the whole tradition was was that they kind of like to sneak in on the potential bride. Uh, So they would often come late at at night, you know what I mean? And and what would happen is as they got sort of close, so they didn't totally freak them out, they would blow a shofar. Big trumpet sound. And that would mean that the groom was close and the bride would know quick (laughs) and grab the ladies in waiting and stuff. We have to go. We got to be ready. He's almost here. Uh, And that he was coming. And so she would know when she heard that, the potential bride, the, the wedding day had finally come. The, this, was the, this was the deal, uh, the whole process. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and after that we are still alive and are left. We caught up together with them in the clouds, To meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever. That's what we're waiting on. Trumpet sound. Ready. House is ready. Here we go. That's also the trumpet of the final harvest. It's the trumpet of, you know, that we're waiting on. The the seven feasts of Israel. Four have been fulfilled. Jesus filled three. Holy Spirit number four at Pentecost. Fifth one is trumpets. It's all going to tie together at that point in time. That's where trumpets, that one happens at the end of the harvest. We guess what season we're in. Big harvest season. We're waiting for the groom to finish up the house. He's coming back. When the father says go, he'll come. There'll be trumpet sound. We'd be waiting because that's what we're waiting on. We're living waiting right now. You should be waiting for trumpets. You should be like... <laughs> because it's coming. And, um, and that brings up the fourth cup. So... The fourth cup is interesting. Now, in a a Passover meal, the fourth cup has a different meaning than, than we have, and they call it Elijah's cup, and they do other stuff with it. But they miss this whole connection to Passover with Jesus and what's happening. So we leave it empty. We don't pour and celebrate that one. Because of something Jesus said in Matthew 26, 29. He said, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Um, I think we drink this one at the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's the one we're waiting on. So, so we drink out of this one all the time when we celebrate communion. This is the one that we remember. We're the groom. We're the bride. He's the groom. He proposed to us. We said yes. We're to live expectantly like he's coming back. We're waiting for him to come. He's, we know where he's up to. He's building a place for us. Then he's coming back at the wedding feast. The one that's talked about in Revelation when we come back together, we celebrate this one with him. And he's waiting for us, and we're waiting for him. So we keep that one empty. And uh, that's how we look at that. Now, that is a, let me clarify, that's a Steveism. You know what that means? Okay, good. Don't be like, so be careful on building your theology on Steveisms. <laughs> you don't want to do that. But symbolically, I feel very comfortable in what I just said to you. And so we, this whole thing is a big symbol. And so we're using this as a symbol that we keep this one empty on purpose. We're going to celebrate that one with Jesus when he comes and gets us. So whenever you're here and you're, you're, you're watching the communion stuff going on and you're seeing it or you're partaking of it, just know that it's part of such a much bigger deal. And that we talk about it when we pray about it. Look, we're waiting for the return of Jesus. Where We said yes to the proposal, and every time we drink it, we're just remembering that what we said was yes. Yes, Lord, we're in. Yes, all in. And, Lord, we're waiting. And so we're going to live expectantly waiting for you, and and, um, we're going to be ready when you come. And we're to live in that sort of state of being ready for when he comes and being prepared and doing what he's asked us to do and, and living in a way that honors him because... We've been bought with a price. We're, we're, you know, we're the bride and how that impacts us. So that's what's happening at the Last Supper. That's what's happening when we're doing communion. And uh, there'll be a quiz before we leave. No, they won't. That's good. Uh, I'm going to finish there. If you're watching on video, thanks for watching. Appreciate you doing that. Love to see you. Come and visit when you can. And uh, we'll catch you next time.